Welcome back to Columbus Talks, your number one source for interviews, news, and reviews in the biggest small town in Georgia. I'm your host, Max Nolan Young. On this week's episode, we talk to marketing specialist and activist Leah Prather about protest safety tips, community organization, and what podcasts help keep her focused. But first, a message from our sponsors. This episode is brought to you by Peach Pit Media, your number one network for podcasts in Columbus, Georgia. Are you interested in learning more about podcasting? Do you need help getting your creative project off the ground? Drop us a line. From producing, to editing, to consulting, and more, Peach Pit Media is your one-stop shop for all your podcasting needs. Visit our website, www.peachpitmedia.com forward slash work with us to connect with our consulting team and your first consultation is free. That's www.peachpitmedia.com forward slash work with us. Talk to you soon. First off, thank you for coming to talk with me. Uh, and as I do with uh, at the beginning of every episode, I'm going to ask you to introduce yourself. So who are you and what do you do? I am Leah Prather, and I am the owner of Aurora Growth Marketing and Consulting. Excellent. Uh, so this is a Columbus focused podcast. So uh, where are you from? Are you from Columbus, from Georgia? Are you a transplant? I am a transplant. Both of my parents were in the military, but they decided to retire here. I have five brothers and two sisters and they just all decided to keep us here at Fort Benning, Georgia. That's a lot. That's a large family. So I have three sisters and one brother. So there's five of us total. Big family. So how long have you been in Columbus? I have been back and I've moved away multiple times as many people do and come back. So I've been back this time for about six years. I came back from El Paso. I went out there for college. Okay. Where in El Paso for college? Um, I went to UTEP. Go Miners. Okay. So you mentioned that you recently launched Aurora Creative, uh, which is your digital marketing business. Yes. Can you share a little bit about what that process has been like establishing that business and gaining clientele and what that uh, what that has looked like for you so far? Um, so over the years, I started in marketing and just, you know, working in malls and different things like that. I worked with Abercrombie and Fitch, um, Bath and Body Works, just as marketing managers or store managers. So over the years, I kind of just gained a lot of different skills on how to do a lot of different things on my own. And then I started to work for solely nonprofits. I worked for a bunch of different nonprofits here in Columbus. And then I started to work in Atlanta. So once I kind of realized I had all the skills needed and I didn't really feel like when I was working place that I had a full creative, you know, ability over a lot of things. So, you know, I found out that, you know, I rather just, you know, do the same thing, but under my own name and under my own certifications. Absolutely. I have had a similar experience. So Jess, my husband and I moved back to Columbus in the beginning of May and I have been looking for work around uh, hopeful, looking for virtual work. And uh, part of that process was interviewing for a bunch of different podcast jobs. Uh, I interviewed at iHeartMedia, Cumulus Media, and most notably the TED Audio Collective, which is the one mm -hmm. that, that, that TED Talks does. And so throughout those processes, 
what I learned is that I have all the necessary skills to run a podcast network. Yes. So I basically said, why am I trying to do this for other people when I can just do this for myself? And so yeah. that's that's why I formed Fit Media and my love for Columbus, or at least my residence in Columbus, <laughs> is what uh, empowered Columbus Talks uh, and, and to focus on the uh, business owners and thought leaders and local local well-knowns in the area to sort of see what's going on and, and what we can do for the community. So one of the first ways that I became acquainted with you was through uh, local protesting and community yes. organization. Uh, could you talk a little bit about your experience with that? Yeah, absolutely. So that's where I really started my nonprofit where I started, you know, marketing for nonprofits for no profit. So I just really knew there were a lot of different causes that needed a lot of different like communications, just, you know, getting things out there. I did my own um, protest and I knew at that point, like I had all the skills to really get the people to come out and get, you know, attention towards different things. So I really just wanted to use my skills for that for a really long time. But then, you know, bills had to be paid. So I have been doing protesting probably for about six years now. My husband, it actually, he started off and, you know, I met him through protests. He took me to my first um, abortion march when we first met. Really? And yeah, and just, you know, we've just kind of been this duo of people, you know, we go out, we travel, um, we've gone to Montgomery, we've traveled outside of Atlanta, just different causes, because it's really important to just get your voice out there. It's really easy to be on Facebook or Instagram, you know, promoting your cause, but it's a different thing to, you know, put your feet on the ground and actually put your voice out there and say what you have to say, you know. Social media can get you very far, but you know, being able to have those skills to get your message out is something that I realized I kind of specialized in and also having like that bleeding heart for my causes as well. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that it is super critical to have organizers like you who are so passionate about the causes for which they are organizing, largely because a lot of support comes from social media. And if you don't have someone who is passionate about a cause and good at organizing, then you're just gonna have a large echo chamber on social media of people saying that they want something yeah. to change, but not being able to affect change. One of the, so one of my recent, pro, so okay, my first protest experience, which I regret not protesting sooner, and that's one thing that I wish that I had been radicalized to do before this year. And But I'm here now and I'm doing what I can. Welcome. So one of the things that I've noticed about protesting that has made me uncomfortable is, uh, so right after the Roe versus Wade uh, ruling was overturned, I went up to Atlanta and, and protested at the, the Capitol. Mm -hmm. And I showed up like right at the end of the protest. But the thing, one of the things that was such, was a struggle for me is that there was a large firearm presence. And firearms make me uncomfortable. As they should. <laughs> yes, exactly, <laughs> as they should. What advice would you give to a protester who is particularly uncomfortable around firearms, knowing that when they go to a protest, there may be a large firearm presence. For me, one thing that I always do when I'm looking into any kind of protest demonstration or whatever it's going to be is I try to fill out the group that is, you know, putting this on, you know, is this somebody who is, you know, 
more, you know, we're just going there for a cause and, you know, we're going there to, you know, just be peaceful. And then I also know I have other groups of people who will be out there and they are ready. They're ready every single time and they're militant about it every single time. So when you, I tell people all the time, you have to know when to go. You should always know when to go. I ended up um, protesting at Centennial Park um, back in 2020 and they started beating windows. They started breaking things. And me and my husband at that time is like, we, you have to know when to go <laughs> because you don't that's want, the sign. you don't want to ever, I'm, I can't put my safety on the line because I have to get home to my kids. Yeah, especially, especially for your kids. Uh, I, I think that that's one of the interesting phenomenon, maybe not a phenomenon, but uh, patterns that have arisen around recent protesting is that particularly privileged white people will do things like damage property and basically cause a stink get themselves like give the protest a bad name yeah. through their actions because they know that they can get away with it and i think that that's super harmful to i agree all organization because by doing that you're undermining the message okay. when i went to atlanta i knew that i was there to be a body and support because i present as a cis white man and if I were to suddenly start making a bunch of ruckus, it to me would feel like I was very much making the protest about me yeah. and drawing that attention away from the actual cause. Exactly. I've gone even, I went to the Ukrainian, um, you know, a lot of marches that they were having there. And, you know, I, it wasn't even in English for the most part. And I understood while I was being there, it wasn't necessarily my cause, but I was standing there in support and, you know, humming along, you know, being a part of the organization without trying to put the spotlight on what I wanted it to be on. And I think that's one of the really important things that you have to, you know, take into account when you're out protesting is being very aware of where you're at geologically like i would never go to stone mountain and do protesting there i just wouldn't do it i wouldn't feel safe around it so you know as much if i do not feel safe i'll have to find a different way to you know donate to a cause because this temperature that we're in right now people they're driving through crowds you know they're shooting people they're you know people are being stabbed and those are things that you those are non-negotiables yeah so you have to you know be avid to you know paying attention and being smart and you know keeping your pulse on what's happening around you and your surroundings because you can't you can't march for your cause if you don't exist anymore because yeah or if else. you're like or if you're in prison and uh i know that there was largely a uh, a movement especially in the in the 60s that you you would get like you get arrested and you yes. go to jail because it's the right thing to do but for people like you who have families you can't yeah, risk no. that which i think is an interesting aspect of the climate that our political sphere is in because the people who are protesting are at such high risk of oh, yeah. losing their their means to survive oh, their jobs you're losing and, everything these days and and you're putting that on the line for a good cause but at the same time if you get arrested and are in jail and it takes all your money now you're broke you're probably out of a home you're on the streets and i guess i guess you can still protest if you're homeless but at that point you have the your power has been removed 
which is one of the things that I think is really is really difficult about the about protesting now. It's one of those things that pushed me away initially. Yeah. Um, bit between that and fearing for my life, I know that I sh- I shouldn't fear for my life more than anyone else. But it's still I still fear for my life. Like that's just uh, I think a natural reaction, especially when people are being run over and stabbed and shot and etc. I don't know where I was going with that. Uh, but so where I want to go next is uh, what sort of advice would you give to someone who is looking to attend their first protest? Really just depending on what is that cost for them, I would definitely say go out there and find your resources. There are so many good resources out there. If you know, you're standing for abortion rights, you're standing for, you know, humanitarian rights, whatever it is, there's so many resources out there. And, you know, go onto their websites and they will have things for you to volunteer there. They will be flashing everywhere because, you know, these kind of causes are, you know, they're human causes. They're heartfelt. So, you know, going on to different websites and social medias and finding groups of people and also trying to find, you know, those smaller networks that are on Facebook groups to, you know, really talk about your ideas and really kind of get your feet a little bit wet in some of those areas so you're not going out feeling so blind. So, you know, just kind of finding your community and, you know, signing up through different newsletters and different things like that. Absolutely. Speaking of community, one of the things that I wanted to ask you as a transplant is what do you look for in a community in regard to building your family? One of the things that I really thought I've always looked for is diversity. I've I've grown up in very diverse places. My parents made sure I was well-traveled and different things like that. So I've always wanted my children to grow up in an area that they could see that the world isn't just black and white. They can see that, you know, they have different perspective. People have different opportunities and and things like that in the world. It's just always been such a big thing to me that my children were immersed in what the world actually looks like. In that regard, what is your, this is sort of a two-part question, what is your favorite part about the community in Columbus? And after you say that, I'll ask my second question. Okay. My favorite part about Columbus is that we are always, you know, I don't know, I feel like there's underdogs in Columbus all the time. And then, you know, you have your synovuses and you have, you know, your old money. I feel like there's just always a constant, you know, grind here in Columbus starting back to, you know, when, you know, we had older clubs and different things like that. And, you know, you have your downtown, you have your uptown and different things. I feel like for me, my favorite part about Columbus is we're always trying to carve out our individuality. And I feel like it it definitely has gone through a renaissance period of, you know, we've got art up, we have, you know, cool local restaurants, you know, we're doing so much and making so many different things. But I feel like for Columbus, we have to be able to really break out and have our individuality and it not be so suffocated sometimes. Absolutely. I think that one of the great things about Columbus is that it does support everyone, like, finding their own idea, their own niche. One of the great things about Columbus is that it's one of the best places to start a business. Like one I've been reading recently, it's on that table. It's a, it's a book called red clay, white water and blues. And it's a cumulative history of Columbus since its settlement by uh, colonizers, which one of the things that's really interesting is that the majority of the people 
who settled in Columbus were entrepreneurs. It wasn't like they were farmers or uh, or they were looking for for any other reason. It was it was people who were here to hustle and make money and start businesses. And that I think is one of the reasons why Columbus has still in the fabric of its community that support for people who want to mm-hmm. establish their own ideas. So the second part of the question is what is the part of Columbus that you think needs the most improvement? Um, I think the part of Columbus that needs the most improvement would probably be St. Mary's Road or anything past that. But I also feel like the you know downtown area has to also stop thinking that that's it. Because I feel like, like if you kind of just look around the, a little bit down on 2nd Avenue right now, where did all those people go? You know, we're building Mercer, we're building Synovuses, we're building apartments. That used to be 100% the project. So now all these people have been displaced somewhere else in Columbus. And that's not how you solve poverty. That's not how you solve, you know, high murder rates. That's not how you, you don't just take the problem, move it somewhere else. So I feel like all the resources that we have and you know these little pockets in columbus have to be able to be spread out for columbus to really figure out how we you know negate some of these issues that we have absolutely uh, that's that's something similar that, uh, i mean i i absolutely 100 percent agree with you i think that one of columbus's biggest issues is that they are constantly trying to gentrify areas and remove statistically people of color from their long-term residents so that the, some other developer can put in some new thing that's that, that the people who were originally living in that area couldn't even dream to afford. Oh, yeah, because we complained about 2nd Avenue's roads for years until, you know, they, they're going to build a Mercer over there. Now they're fixed. So that's, you know, feeling like being, you know, when you're a Columbus native in that instance, it's like, well, apparently my opinion didn't matter. You're just gonna, you know, put me on a voucher and move me somewhere else instead of fix my current issue. So I feel like that for Columbus has to be some, we have to appease the people who live here, the citizens who have built this and, you know, all the businesses too, instead of, you know, stacking on the new stuff and, you know, just just glassing over the problem. So I feel like Columbus should really start to, you know, build up its own programs, build up its own different things, put out those business grants, put out, it can't just be, you know, small pockets of people doing things. We're supposed to get, for example, um, Slutty Vegan. Mm -hmm. We're supposed to get a Slutty Vegan and it has been on pause for so long here. And it's like, why, you know, Montgomery's was up in like three months. It's just, you know, the excitement about things like that in Columbus, it's not there. But, you know, we will have 14 TJ Maxx's and about three different Burlington's will open. Mm -hmm. But, you know, there's room for so much individual things here. Yeah, why do you think that that is? I feel like it's easy. I feel like it's easy and it doesn't really pull apart from the niche. It doesn't allow, it keeps us very, you know, uniform. And I feel like Columbus has always wanted to be uniformed instead of wanting to, you know, be more of that trendy. I feel like Columbus rather be, you know, a real nice, let's see, like a nice Seattle instead of something like a cool Austin. Yeah, it's, it's sort of like Columbus would much rather conform to what is popular or to what will ruffle the least amount of feathers yeah. 
instead of trying a bunch of new interesting things. Examples of that are uh, one of the things that I was talking with my friend Jay about is uh, Fetch Dog Park. Yes. Apparently there are hundreds of those around around Atlanta, Atlanta. Yes. and it's it's not a uniquely Columbus idea. It, it, it seems as though whoever, I don't know who I'm sure, and I'm sure that I'm going to talk to this person at some point because <laughs> that's just what I'm trying to do. My oldest sister loves Fetch, thinks it's a great place to go. I think that it would have been better. What I think is difficult is that it seems like that business was created in an attempt to say Atlanta has this, so Columbus has it too. Oh, yeah. Uh, as opposed to something like the Whitewater course, which is the largest in the region mm -hmm. and is not something that Atlanta has. <laughs> it's not something, it's something that other places have. But because it is unique to Columbus and it really centers around the initial settlement area for, for the city of Columbus, one of the, the places that was so important to the city in, eight, in the early and late 1800s was Coweta Falls, which is right there where yeah. the mills are. And so I think that Whitewater, while I did not like it when it first started. My uh, mom, like when we moved here, she was like, stay out of the water. Don't yeah, touch the water. Absolutely. Get away from the water. You don't touch the water. People drown in the water every summer. Stay away. So that is why I've never touched it because mom said, don't touch it. And that's, I feel the same way because when I was starting at CSU, so I'm a Columbus local. I was born and raised been here minus the past three-ish years that I was not here. Uh, I've been here my whole life. And so when I started college in 2009, one of the things that I thought was so interesting is all of the out of city other students that I was interacting with were like, let's go down to the Chattahoochee and swim. And I was like, y'all no. know that we're south of Atlanta, right? No. You know that you know what goes into the into the you Chattahoochee from Atlanta? <laughs> Everything. They put that well, you don't want to know why drinking water in Columbus is good is because we have a really great waterworks that cleans that our water and goes through many different filtering processes before we can drink it. I would you wouldn't catch me like I mean to be fair I do one of the things that I do want to do is kayak in the like, like the nice like the calm part I I just don't want to risk getting Chattahoochee water in my mouth and they always flip like that's like part of it <laughs> and that's one of the things that I thought was super interesting is right when Whitewater was coming out there were a slew of drownings yes and they were not well publicized, but I remember being down on the Riverwalk and seeing emergency services searching for bodies regularly. I think that one of the things that Whitewater has done well is promoted safety in yeah. regards to spending time in the river because one of the things that is risky about being in Columbus and close to the Chattahoochee is that we have the longest rapids in the state. And so like, as soon as you get into the river, you could be swept under and you could be half a mile down the river yeah, before anybody knows. Yeah, the rapids are terrible. It's like a tornado up under there. Not, not to mention there's probably some casino equipment down there. Absolutely, and bodies, <laughs> like there's no telling. <laughs> One of the things that uh, I think was really interesting. So we spent uh, just under a year in Vegas. And one of the things that I learned while I was in Vegas is that what the Hoover Dam is damming 
is referred to as Lake Mead. And Lake Mead has been in the news lately because its water levels are decreasing. And as its water levels are decreasing, they're finding a lot of things. One of them, of one of them notably being a barrel with human remains in it. And it, they would not have found it unless the water level was so low, because I'm sure at the time, somebody was like, I'm going to take this out to the middle of the lake, dump it, and no one's going to find it. Perfect. Uh, and I know that since Phoenix City was the uh, sin city of the East before Vegas had the opportunity to claim that title, there's got to be some stuff down oh, there. Yeah. And I would really be curious to do like a sweep of what's under the water there's actually a guy who um he has a youtube channel and he dives really? i don't know if he still does it but he had a gopro channel on youtube and he would dive in the um chattahoochee and just find all types of stuff do you know his name no but i guarantee you if you just type it in yeah. on youtube you will find this guy and like i didn't even know they do scuba lessons i i didn't know they did it in the chattahoochee i, I knew that there were scuba lessons around their you their application is the Chattahoochee. <laughs> yeah, so so I initially was not a huge fan of Whitewater when it was happening because as I'm sure most people are when things are changing, I was like, this is weird and I don't like it and why did they blow up the dam and and who cares about Whitewater and because oh, I was yeah. because I was a kid and like I think that I was around 18 or 19 when this was happening and I already had a, a sort of general malaise in regards to the my perspective on Columbus, mm -hmm. but hindsight being 2020 uh, or 2022 now, I really think that Whitewater has been a an incredible tourism yeah. generator, which is great. It helps people come and see the city, and when that when people visit and pour their money into the city, then that helps boost the local economy. I definitely enjoy that they have a lot more outdoor stuff here because I love to like go, there's a lot of trails and different stuff around Columbus that I'll try to do. Um, and I love to go a little bit farther out to, towards Providence and different things mm -hmm. like that. But I feel like for Columbus, there's definitely working on this tourist industry. We got the hotels, we got the, you know, one thing that I feel like we were missing is that, you know, open container on the weekends guys <laughs> we're getting close we're almost to savannah but you know a lot of people think you know columbus is like savannah until they come here and they realize this is nothing like savannah yeah no, we just have the river there's no boat there's no no not quite <laughs> not quite it's it's interesting and i think largely it's because savannah is about a hundred years older than columbus yeah jess and i recently went to tybee to go to the beach for uh, a sort of like final kickoff mm -hmm. before they started their position at the Springer. And it was, it was incredible. The, the amount, uh, the sort of infrastructure of their tourism is, is very well structured. It is. And I, I wish that we had more of that in Columbus. One of the things that I wish we had in Columbus that they have tons of in Savannah are ghost tours. Oh yes. Because they're- it's spooky. I, I went to all of the graveyards and they're, they are wonderful. They are wonderful. I wish we did have, you know, ghost tours here, but I feel like you think Columbus is too superstitious? Maybe that might <laughs> that might be it. I've always said Cuz they look at me when I'm when I'm out and they think I'm spooky sometimes. That's so. fair. One of the things that I've always said is that I believe that there is a some sort of ley line 
underneath the uh, the 1000 block of Broadway. I developed this theory when working at the tap because <laughs> bad things would always happen. That I worked at the tap too. Bad things did always happen. When did you work at the tap? Um, I worked at the tap summer of 2016. Okay, I had left at that point. I worked there from I worked at the tap from April of 2013 until September of 2014. And then I moved from a barback position at the tap to a management position at Picasso. And I stayed there until Larry got arrested. And then I was like, peace. I definitely remember like working there and like getting sent home because like I was wearing too much clothes. So like it's, it's real. Or just the endless slew of horrible objectifying comments oh, yeah. that you would get not just from the not just from your coworkers or your managers but also everyone who came into the bar oh, yeah it's one of the things that i think is interesting when i when i could compare the two sort of bookends that i work so i went from working at a bar uh working 4 p.m to 4 a.m to working at a coffee shop working yeah. from 6 30 a.m until 2 p.m and it, like it was like three to three at the tap. Yeah, it's, you know, <laughs> something like that. It, it, I think that when I was, when I, because I was a bar back, I would start at four and then we would get done. Like we closed at three and then it would take us however long to close. Regardless, I was there for 12 hours at a time and <laughs> it did pay well, but it did not pay taxable. And that's one of the things that my dad no. was very happy about when I moved they, to they Picasso. Not, everything was in cash. I. Very much so remember that in this little index box. I was like, this is sketchy, but okay. It's all, yeah, like that's, <laughs> it was the kind of place where you could have said, this is sketchy at any point, And everyone would have been like, yeah, you're right. Because it is, and it was, and it's gone now, thank <laughs> God. So I then went to work at Iron Bank and it is literally the exact same clientele, just at the different at the different yes. side of the day, and they're clamoring for their coffee, their other morning addiction, <laughs> their morning drug, as opposed to their evening drug. And I thought that was I was <laughs> I very much felt like I was a dealer just <laughs> at, at a different time of day with a different product. Easily. And I think that's the really interesting thing about our just our society is that we have two drugs that we have uh, made our world dependent on and are normalized, and that's caffeine and alcohol. Oh yeah. And that's the way that a lot of people deal with their problems. If they have to go to work, they drink their coffee, don't talk to me till I've had my coffee. Don't look, don't breathe, don't. Worst, I just, <laughs> as someone who has worked in coffee, you can deal without coffee. You can be nice to people without having and coffee. As a, like, as a veteran bartender, you can definitely do it without the alcohol. Yes. The problem is, so so the, the difference between working at a coffee shop and working at a bar to me is that people at a bar start out more polite and get ruder as the night goes on. Whereas with coffee, they start out rude and get nicer as the more caffeine they have. Um, and probably less puke to clean up. That was- Statistically, the... yes. <laughs> um, although I did have to clean up human feces in both instances from the bathrooms. Yeah. Uh, because people are ridiculous. It was the horse trail thing for me in the men's bathroom. It's all, it's all bad. <laughs> uh, the, it's hard for me to decide when one of, one of the things that I compare is the men's and the women's restroom because yes, the trough is disgusting, but at no point did the toilet get so horribly clogged 
uh, because, I don't know, somebody didn't flush. This has happened in the women's room. Someone didn't flush, and then people just kept using it and continuing to not flush. Because they were talking. Until it just stacked up over the water. And I was like, now I have to go in with a cup and gloves and scoop this until it's able to flush. Everybody would like put up like some money in a pile and then somebody, whoever takes the money at the pile has to go clean it. Whoever gathers up all the fives we put together has to go mm-hmm. clean it. <laughs> mm-hmm. But yeah, so I, I, I'm, I'm glad that that institution is gone, but I still think that there is, there's a sort of power running through that area yes. of the city. It has been. Um, a lot of people don't know if one club closes, sometimes it's just a different name. It's not necessarily a different owner. Mm-hmm. And that has been happening since like big city club days. Since, you know, first we had um, Yazoo's and then we had a different club that was the same owner, but you know, different names and different things like that. Well, it's like, oh, I don't know what it's called now, but it was at one point Flip Flops. It was, uh, is it the Hooch? Is that the one that's across yes, the street? it's the Hooch. So it was, uh, it was Flip Flops. It was, it's now the Hooch. It's been, I want to say eight other different yeah. bars, but it's just been the same guy trying to rebrand and remarket. And I guess he's just bad at it. And so like so. anytime that he is like, ah, oh, it's not working. This new isn't club. working. I'm just going to try something different. He pulls his mask off and he's like, ah, new club. It's, it's, it's wild. And I think that that's such an interesting tactic that doesn't work because I, I, I mean, I'm sure that people go to the hooch. Uh, I'm sure that one of the things that's been really good for all of the other bars downtown is that the tap is closed and that's where most people yeah. went. Like nine times out of 10, if you were going out- You ended up there You You point. either started out or ended up there. You were going to spend a portion of your evening at the tap. If nothing else, as a as a meeting point for mm-hmm. all your friends, because I mean, it was a huge courtyard. It could yeah, it could fit the most people. And now that that's gone, it's one of the things that I think is interesting is that there's not really a central location no. downtown for people to meet at and congregate. So I think that there's a there's an opening for an enterprising entrepreneur. Uh, to establish a new, not a not a new tap, but like a new venue yeah. that like that. So two more topics I want to talk about. You recently returned from Dragon Con. Yes. How was? Do you want to talk about that? Yeah. Dragon Con was amazing. Um, it has been a couple years since I've been able to return to the con scene just due to COVID. You know, um, I didn't really want to deal with all the mask mandates and different stuff being fully vaccinated. So we waited a couple years ago. The last one that I went to was Comic-Con right before COVID hit. So Dragon Con is like a almost week long convention that goes spans from like four separate hotels. It was amazing. Um, I went for one day because I had so many other things going on that particular weekend, but it was amazing. I did a Rock League cosplay and the bride from Kill Bill and it was just so much fun, but you spend all day long 
drinking, eating, and cosplaying. There's gaming sessions. There's, you know, just, just being around your people. And it is thousands of people there. There's probably, there's probably over like 4,000 people just walking through these different hotels. Um, one of my absolute favorite parts of it was, you know, there was about 50 guys who were in their inflatable dinosaur costumes and they just jammed up every single escalator and elevator. I mean, definitely trolls, definitely yeah. trolls, but it was wonderful. I was just, you know, I couldn't go, any no one could go anywhere because there's just, you know, these dancing T-Rexes going through the halls. And it was, it starts literally from like 12 in the afternoon until you can decide to drop somewhere at like four o'clock because there's, you know, there's panels, there's gaming sessions, there's competitions, there's raves, there's parties. There was a Transformers um, concert, which was awesome. So literally just a nerd's dream. Yeah, so I, I've i not been to Dragon Con. It's one of the things that I have wanted to do for a long time, but it's usually around my birthday. My birthday's at the end of September. Yeah. And so I'm, I've usually got plans here in Columbus because this is where my family lives. Mm -hmm. uh, but one of the things that I ha I've done recently is that there was a comic and toy show here in Columbus at the Coca-Cola yeah. Space Science Center. I. I had a really good time, but unfortunately it was like, I was in and out in like a moment. Yeah. It was, it was so, there was not enough to do to keep me there for an extended period yeah, of time. Yeah, you, you couldn't walk too many loops there. And I think, I really think, and, and see if you agree with this, I really think that Columbus would be a wonderful place for that kind of convention. Yeah, I think so too. Um, my husband, he actually put on a con year uh, here about probably about five years ago, it was called Not A Con. And it actually ended up being wonderful, but it cons are so much work. And they had another one that came here in town too. And I can't remember what the name of it, but I believe it came, I believe y'all were already traveled in Chicago somewhere, but it was here for about two years and it kind of just, it just kind of went away. But I think Columbus would be an excellent spot for, you know, having cons there's so many nerds here there's yeah. so many people who a lot of people that i spoke to at dragon con literally only came because somebody brought them they were just interested in seeing what it was all about and i don't know about you but i love any opportunity just to get dressed like i love to the most i like to if i could like just show up as like a transformer for the day i would do it because it's like yeah, being human's cool, but have you tried being like a anything a else? <laughs> um, yeah. So one of the things that I think is incredible about Columbus is that as soon as you provide an opportunity for people, they just literally crawl out of the woodwork with oh, yeah. unseen skills and talents. And one of the conversations that I've had a lot lately is how there's not a music venue or a selection of music venues yes. in Columbus, and there are tons of, of musicians. musicians literally you could ask uh, you could go down the street and i bet there's at least a guitar in everyone's house uh, i have one in this house that is mine that i brought from my storage yes. so that i could play it because i i write music there isn't a music venue and you're co you're correct about that most of the um concerts or things that i've been to have either been like either house parties or you know meeting up somewhere or over at what is that venue that is over off of Forest Road. Oh, I can't remember what it's Ooh, called. I don't know. I'll, but it's kind of like an alternative um, place. Like they have, they do like different like screamo sets. Oh, they is do... it Cuckoo's Nest? Yes. Okay, yeah. There's a show this weekend that I won't be able to go to. But yeah, one of the one of the only venues that there is 
or that's well established in Columbus is uh, the loft, and yeah. it it just takes work to get into the loft because it is uh, the only to, one. Yeah, it, it, it's the only one, and it's also typically frequented by wealthier people. It's owned by one of the wealthier business owners in Columbus and so if you are well connected then it's a great place to go yeah but for like these local garage bands and, and pop punk bands and everybody who's trying everybody at who at the gas station who's trying to hand me a cd of their <laughs> mixtape need a place to do a show yeah. and uh I really one of the things that I'm I'm not I'm sort of soft working on is connecting a network of people to make that happen. Yeah, I think it's definitely possible because like you said, the people are here for it and the resources are there for it too. It's just, you know, getting people together to find that common cause and also the space. I've learned here in Columbus is very hard to get a space. I remember there was this one time I wanted to get a um just like a different mural downtown that was a little bit more um, intrinsic for what columbus stood to me and i couldn't get it done because i found out that the person who owned the wall was a trump supporter and didn't want somebody using it so it's just so crazy about you know space here like i'll rent different things in atlanta and i use an app called peer space and it'll be like twenty dollars an hour for something here I've paid like ridiculous amount of money to just vent space to do something. And you know, we it, Columbus is just lacking in you know, renting spaces, being in different spaces like that and also making it accessible for, you know, people who don't have the corporate money to put up just to get their music out, just to get their vision out. So, you know, I've tried to, you know, over the years, try to create different spaces like that. Um, I've done like Afro Hippie here for me and my husband. We've done that here together. And that was just, you know, getting a group of collective people together. But, you know, doing things like that costs money. Mm -hmm. It costs money. And, you know, having to support is super important. So I think creating your own space here in Columbus is something that is so important to do. But it takes it takes your tribe. It really, really does. Yeah. Great. Okay. So last topic is uh, podcasts. What podcasts do you listen to? Do you listen to podcasts? I do listen to podcasts. What podcasts do you I listen, listen to? I listen to the longest podcasts out there. I listen to podcasts all day long. Um, I listen to My Favorite Murder. I listen to Rotten. I listen to Lights Out Podcasts. Anything about literally anything. I listen to this one that is like going through Egyptian history right now, like, cause I spent a lot of time in my car. Yeah. So um, I'll just, I listen to a lot of sociology and marketing podcasts too. Anything really that will put me in the mood and then like a bit of like screamo. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, 100%. That's basically the same kind of thing that I listen to. I've listened to a lot of tabletop role-playing mm -hmm. podcasts. I've listened to My Favorite Murder a good bit. My husband uh, really enjoys true crime. Yes. And so I think that I think that there is a space in Columbus for a true crime podcast. I think so, I, too. Uh, there's not one as far as I know. And we have at least three serial killers that lived here at one point. Oh, yeah. I mean, we can just go through the sh shootings and get over it with that. Aside from a true crime podcast, what sort of local Columbus podcast would you be interested in listening to? 
I love the reviews. I love, there's also um, some that are here in Columbus as well, but I love, you know, ones that are putting, you know, people in the spotlight and, you know, trying to change perspective and also ones that kind of give, you know, an insight of what Columbus really is versus what it looks like. Um, I love to hear people's personal stories. I love to hear, you know, just the different perspective of different parts that people have grown up here too. So I love to just hear about people just growing into their own and anything that really supports their personal goal too. Absolutely. Uh, that's one of the things that I've been working on is trying to make sure that I visit areas of the city that I haven't been to before and trying to increase my demographic in those areas because I want Columbus Talks and Peachpit Media to represent the whole of Columbus, yeah. not just, as you said, not just the sort of narrow pocket that is uptown slash downtown slash whatever we're calling it these days, mm -hmm. or the north side of town, or the places, the, any of the places where Columbus's money typically goes. Yeah. One of the things that I would really like to do is be able to spotlight local businesses in places like St. Mary's Road at Buena Vista and South Columbus that have not been spotlighted before, spotlit yeah. before. And so it's good to know that there is an audience looking for that kind of oh, uh, yeah. content. All right, I think that that is it for me. Okay. I just wanted to say thank you so much for thank coming you. and talking to me. Absolutely. Uh, I look forward to seeing what you're able to do with Aurora Creative and uh, I look forward to seeing uh, everything else that you do within the city. That sounds great. Thank you so much for having me here today. And that brings us to the end of the episode. Before I sign off, I have one question for you, Columbus. What are you doing that is amazing? Whether it's growing pains or success stories, I want to hear what you have been up to in the Fountain City. If you have a correction, concern, complaint, or simply want to have a conversation, send me an email at max at peachpitmedia.com. You can also send us a direct message on Instagram or Facebook. Our handle is at peachpitmedia. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Columbus Talks, your number one source for interviews, news, and reviews in the biggest small town in Georgia. If you like this episode, please tell a friend. Word of mouth is the best way to get new listeners. So please, whether they're new to the city or a longtime local, tell your neighbor to listen in to what we have to say about Columbus. Don't forget to like, subscribe, follow, and review us on your podcatcher of choice. Whether that's Spotify, Overcast, Google Play, or any of the places you find podcasts, your feedback is incredibly appreciated. If you love our logo as much as I do, I know you'll want to take it with you everywhere you go. Well, now you can! Just follow the link in the episode description and you can get our incredible logo, designed by graphic design whiz Jess Adams, on anything from t-shirts to coffee mugs to stickers and more. For more information about the podcast and network, please visit our website, peachpitmedia.com. Subscribe to our blog to find out more information about network news, episode transcripts, and our next episode guests. Speaking of, our next episode will release October 14th and will feature an interview with Jacob Cazares, the music promotion mastermind behind River City Entertainers. Special thanks go out to our guest, Leah Prather, Jess Adams for our graphic design, the Rivera and Young families, and to you, dear listener, for letting me share the things that I love. Until next time, keep growing, Columbus. I'll talk to you soon. <laughs>